Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are all having a phenomenal week. I am extremely grateful, privileged, and excited to be introducing this week's guest, Mr. Brian Meehan. So Brian doesn't do a lot of interviews because he's extremely busy running uh, one of the most impressive coffee companies on the planet, Blue Bottle Coffee, which is a sustainable, environmentally conscious company that's transforming coffee experiences across North America and Asia. If you have ever been to New York or LA or any big city, really, um, Blue Bottle is one of the most recognizable brands in coffee. And I met Brian at a mastermind where he was teaching a very intimate setting on emotional intelligence, actually, and the use of a tool called the Enneagram, which we talk a lot about on this episode, and and how one can leverage some of these tools to become more aware of just people, managing people, relationships, growing business, and everything beyond. And I love this episode, one, because again, Brian doesn't do a lot of these, so any time with him is a gift. But just being able to learn all that makes Brian, Brian, uh, everything from his work-life relationships, his family, his success as an entrepreneur, what he's learned and how he's been able to create a harmonious balance in his life. Really, I think one of the most impressive things that came out to me during this entire episode was what Brian's beliefs are around the idea of caring. doesn't matter if it's caring about the people you serve, the people in your life, the work you do, the planet we're on. Caring is a window to doing more. Caring is a window that opens up. It just opens up your own capacity to feel and live an intentional life. And the way Brian wields care throughout his work, his relationships, his own personal spirituality, it was pretty inspiring for me and a very beautiful reminder that you don't have to be successful to care. You don't have to have all your stuff figured out in order to care. Caring is an attitude and something that you can inspire anybody to do. And I hope that this episode, alongside the work that Brian and Blue Bottle are doing as a company uh, to not only protect the planet, but also inspire everyday individuals to be more mindful of their shopping practices and just be more mindful of the power you do have because of your ability to care. I hope that this episode inspires you to care a little more about the things that matter to you in your life and care about staying grounded in truths that you decide for you as you go about creating your dream life, getting in shape, building a business, raising a family, or everything in between. So enjoy the episode. If you haven't already subscribed to us on iTunes, what that means is every single time we release a new episode, you'll get it right in your in your phone or listening app of choice. Join the Stay Grounded community. Go to rajana.com forward slash stay grounded to get more insights on things that I learned about this episode and the things that I took away from it. Don't forget, Stay Grounded is my personal tool for learning as well. 
So all of the questions that I ask, they're really driven from a place of curiosity. So I go back and listen to these episodes all the time and teach things that come up for me after re-listening to the show inside of our community. So go check it out. And again, um, I hope this episode really inspires you to just care a little more because the more you care, the more power you give yourself to change the world around you. So enjoy. And without further ado, here is the amazing Mr. Brian Meehan. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are all enjoying uh, your day so far. I am so excited to have you here, Brian. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, the the minute we met, I just felt that such a such a calming presence about you. Um, and then after we dove in over the hour, you had me asking questions about myself that I haven't asked in a long time. So I'm really excited to dive in and get Great. behind uh, the mind of the man asking the questions. All right. So I already introduced you before the episode started, so I won't uh, focus on any of those details. But one question I did want to ask you was, I guess, let's just start with the Enneagram in general. Mm. Why did you believe that to be an effective tool to use in your managerial position as you've scaled Blue Bottle? I suppose it, it started with me with YPO. I was a bit skeptical about joining YPO. Um, but one of the, in addition to meeting great people and great fellow, YPO, by the way, is a group for CEOs and presidents of companies to join all around the world. So a lot of your listeners who are running their own company or in senior positions, you know, should look into your local YPO chapter and join it. It's a phenomenal organization. But one of the things I came across at YPO was this tool called the Enneagram. And I'm by no means a trained Enneagram teacher, but I have studied it and used it personally and at work. And, you know, effectively Enneagram is a set of nine different personalities no one is better or worse than the other but it's a great way to understand how you respond to the world and also whether it's your partner or your teammate or your manager to understand their enneagram type because it gives you a lot of guidance into how one enneagram type deals with another enneagram type so whether you're in a relationship or you're in a business relationship it's really it's a really helpful tool to understand what triggers you and why you respond to the world the way you do and where you get your energy from. I found it to be, you know, you and I talked about it when I met you in Santa Barbara. Um, it's a phenomenal tool. And obviously, anytime you use it, people want to know more about themselves. I think especially people in business are hungry to learn about themselves and hungry, hungry to get better and improve. Um, this is a phenomenal tool. And I think if you put, you know, at the end of your, a link to the book, um, I showed you on the Enneagram. Yeah, also, that's a great way of getting more information on it. Yeah. What have you found to be the most effective tools for learning more about yourself? Obviously, you know, so I'm 51 now. You could say I've, I'm, I'm halfway through my life or I'm... Just getting started, Brian. Just getting started. I think I'm, I, I was about to say <laughs> I've, I've had a lot of experience in business, but maybe I'm still young. I don't know. But I, I have found just... You cannot beat experience of just trying your best at everything you do in life and then taking time to reflect on what has gone well and what has not gone well. For me, I see myself as a very humble person. So the concept of humility 
is something, is a tool that I've used. I'm naturally a shy person and slightly introverted. So I think the more introverted you are, I think the more humble you are. But that doesn't mean that extroverts can't be humble too. I, I just like the concept of humility in life. Mm-hmm. And again, either at work or in your personal relationships, because there's a great book. I can't remember the name of the author, but the ego is the enemy. Yep. Ryan Holiday. Great, great book. Very, you could read it in a day. But you know that we, we get ahead of ourselves sometimes with ego and it gets in the way of everything. And just learning to be a bit more humble and to open up to learning and listening is something none of us do very well and something we all need to do more of. Do you have a regular practice of reflection that you bake in on a, as a routine or is it more so now instinctual for you that you're sort of noticing patterns and learning as you're, as you're acting? Yeah, I'm hopeless at being disciplined around reflection or meditation. I'm very open-minded to learning and reflecting, but I don't do it in a very disciplined way. But as I've grown older, I've learned how to be more open to feedback, more open to going a bit deeper in conversations, either with um, my wife, my family, my daughters, or you know, friends or people in YPO. Just, you know, we, we're all, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses. Let's just, you know, be very open to hearing both. Also, yeah. a lot of us are very poor at accepting praise. So it's not just the weaknesses and the areas that you need to develop on, but just being open. You know, a lot of us didn't get praised when we were, when we were kids. So the concept of receiving it can be very hard for people. And to know if you're a giver or a receiver of that, it's also as hard as, you know, as it is receiving feedback on your weaknesses or things that you need to improve. Have you, over time, I guess, built the muscle of empathy? Is that something you started out in business with? Something we talk a lot about at Blue Bottle is, is maybe the word care. I care for people a lot. And I may not be the most dynamic planner at work, or I may not be the person who's, you know, who's in the earliest or stays the latest. But what I am really good at is caring about my team, caring about our guests at Blue Bottle, and caring about the brand and the, the product and how perfect it needs to be. So I think care, obviously I am empathetic, but I think I'm probably more caring. Mm. What's the difference? What do you think the difference is? <laughs> I'll throw know. it back uh, to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess empathy to me is your ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and recognize where that person's coming from and then hold space for that. To me, caring mm-hmm. is almost like an internal sort of drive. Like I want to care for this person. So it's almost like caring is in a, a caring as a form of compassion versus empathy as a form of like understanding. Okay. That's beautifully put. But yes, I am pretty empathetic, of course. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I think, you know, if, if someone was to put one word on me, it's probably more caring. Yeah. First. Where do you think that innate drive to care comes from for you? Uh, okay, so I, I, I mean, if you go back to the beginning, I come from a very poor family, you know, zero in, in an age where a lot of us have significant privilege today, just being white is a privilege in America today. I grew up in Ireland to extremely poor parents. My father was an orphan. Um, my mother left home at 12 to, to work as a housekeeper. Um, and that was a time in Ireland, you know, where my father's parents died of TB uh, when he was seven. So there wasn't much health care. There was, you know, he lived in a house with 
seven or eight siblings that had no heating. It was a pretty, you know, it, it was a pretty dire upbringing for him. And I think he wanted to give to me what he never had, as, as my mother did too. So they cared very deeply about me. And so you can care. Care is something you can give, you know, without being privileged or being rich or um, being educated. Care is like a basic human emotion and a basic human uh, need and, and something we can give. We just have to decide, you know, whether we're interested in caring. Like, why do we, I was reading the other day about how it's interesting that you can care for your kids with just so much passion, but how we're able to walk down to the Tenderloin in San Francisco and pass someone who's obviously in need of extreme care. And, and you know, if you knew that person was your child or your cousin or friend's daughter, you know, just how different you would be just knowing that connection. But we walk, you know, we choose not to care about a lot of things. We choose not to care about the environment right now. Um, there's a lot of people who just throw a blind eye. So care is just a conscious decision that we all have to make. And when we don't do it, the consequences are huge. But when we do do it um, in a company like Blue Bottle, you can see it. You can, you know, people, even you don't have to drink coffee to know that Blue Bottle cares deeply about their coffee or about their consumer experience. I just think care is something, when things are going wrong, it, care is usually missing. Mm, wow, that's really powerful. You know, it's it's almost like care is the the common denominator across just about every good thing that happens on this planet. I think so, and and it's generally missing when something's going wrong. Yeah, it's like where are we not caring? What are we not caring mm-hmm. about? Who's not caring? The thing for me, the biggest thing right now is 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 obviously the planet. In America, you know, we have a government that does not, is actually, you know, very explicit in its objective of not caring for, caring more for business and jobs than for sustainability and the environment. So that's a big deal because you can do both. I mean, it's a shame, but you can do both. I think I saw this, uh, you posted something on Instagram or you shared a, a quote, which was when you stepped out into nature, you always ask it for permission before you step out. Oh, um, yeah. Where did I put that? I remember saying that, actually. That came from a trip I did in Ecuador a few years ago with the Ashwar tribe, where we went deep into a rainforest. And I was a host. I was uh, not hosting, but I was a guest of an indigenous family that was obviously being threatened by oil companies. And we were being asked to come and help and just observe what was going on. And we went for a very deep trek in the in in the jungle uh, or in the rainforest. And one of our guides actually slipped and dislocated his hip, and it was a very painful and sad experience. But when they were walking back, when we got him back to camp, you know, two three hours later, they actually reviewed what reflected on what had happened, and they had not asked permission from the rainforest to take guests in and. Um, the leader, the shaman in, in that family was saying that typically they would normally do that. And ever since now, I go into an unknown wild experience. I always ask permission of nature you know, to, to allow us in uh, with open arms. Wow, that's a certain level of almost like trust in, in trust. something outside, yeah. outside of your control, right? Like, is that something mm. that you had? As you were sort of, as you've grown, like, or is that something you developed along the way, just trusting things outside of your control? 
Well, I think I'm very spiritual and I think I'm very much, you know, again, one of the reasons I'm so connected to sustainability and climate change is anything that's living, I'm very connected to. I'm I'm actually doing this podcast from my house. We live out in Marin. I I have bees that I keep here. My daughter Orla makes her own honey. Uh, We have vegetable garden. You know, we've got beautiful magnolia tree. It's not just about, you know, a house or a family or a car. I'm very connected to living things. And one of the biggest issues, not to get too deep about nature, is the soil. I mean, one of the biggest sources of energy we have and the biggest collector of carbon on the planet is soil. And soil is the health of our soil and the bacteria in our soil is dying and being depleted. You know, to get back to your question, the earth is alive, is a living is a living thing that's obvious and so it needs respect and when we disrespect it all of the issues that we get around flooding and fires and hurricanes is generally a response from the earth being out of balance the earth being out of balance so like let's say do you think that our own internal imbalance has an effect on the overall imbalance of the planet like if somebody is in alignment or if somebody is living in in purpose or if, if, if somebody is living in, in a state of care, do you think, if, I think, I guess that's what I'm really getting at. Like, do you think not enough people care or do you think that there's a misalignment with just the way that society has been built, um, which has caused a lot of these imbalances? I think it's the former. I think we don't care enough. And I think, you know, the, the planet is starting to fight back and say, you know, enough is enough. I can't take this anymore. Listen to me because I've got something to tell you. It's a warning sign. Yeah, man. I feel like you and I could talk about the environment for hours, but I want to make sure I I, I <laughs> actually talked about. I, I've always been curious. One thing that I admire a lot about you is just how much of a family man you are. I'm a huge family man, yes. Yeah, and I, I respect that a lot. Uh, I mean, man, but you run a massive organization. I see people who don't run a hundredth of the size of the organizations that you do honestly, almost sacrifice family for some sort of gain. How have you been able to sort of balance or create a harmonious relationship between your personal life and your work life? It's a great question. I think we talked about this in Santa Barbara too, right? Because I I don't think there is a trade-off between work and family. It's a decision that you have to make. And I've often told people over the years of being an entrepreneur that I don't see a difference between work and and family or work and pleasure. Um, You know, pleasure is work, work is pleasure. I've never been, never have to do something. If I've got to go to some cafes on a Saturday, I'm never thinking, oh, you know, I'm working on a Saturday. Um, at the same time, if I, like today, I'm speaking to you from my home because I had some, you know, a, a day of work calls and different things going on. So, I, again, I, I don't see that as, well, I'm not in the office today, so I'm not working. You only have one life. And I think those who choose to either just be all family or all work. I just think it's a shame because I think you can do both. Again, we, we talked at the beginning about ego. You just have to get over that expectation that you set on yourself that you have to be the first in the office you know, and you have to be the last to leave. And that's a really important symbol to give the organization. I just don't believe in that. I just think that you should you know you've got one life you should lead a happy life you should give your best to your work yourself and your family and there should never be a compromise on anything any of those three 
some of the best conversations I've had at work is when I say to somebody that I work very closely with, is let's take the day off tomorrow from work and go hiking in Marin and spend this, do a six hour hike. I don't do that. I wish I did it more, but um, I'll get more out of those six, four or five hours, six hours chatting with that person about where we're going with the business than I would spending a day in meetings in Oakland. That takes a certain level of trust as well, which it seems like you've cultivated. Yeah, you know, and I'm again, I'm not perfect and I'm not, I've never set myself out to be the perfect CEO. I think there are different types of CEOs and I'm just, I'm not a traditional CEO in that sense. Yeah. I think it's important for, for, for people to get the best out of me. I need to be happy and I need to be, feel like I'm in a good state of mind and my well-being is good. So I have to take care of myself first, take care of others. And if I don't take care of myself first, it's very hard for me to take care of the 1,300 people that work in my company. How do you take care of yourself? I know where my limits are. And so if I've overstretched myself with travel or meetings or workload, I generally, um, in terms of the, the things that I do on a weekly basis is number one, Pilates. I do it. I have a reformer at home um, and a Pilates studio I go to at least twice a week, if not three times a week. Uh, mm. Hiking, where I live in Marin, I'm surrounded by steps and trails. So generally every day I will try and get in a, uh, a one or two mile walk. I do walking meetings of work. That's something where, you know, you can spend the whole day sitting in meetings. Now I'll say to someone, let's walk to a cafe, let's walk and talk, and I can get in three miles a day of walking just by just by taking a couple of meetings, by walking rather than sitting in a, in a seat in an office. Yeah. Um, sleeping, go to bed early. Yeah, things like that. Just all the things. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I mean, and one, uh, well, I'm also curious, like, were these self-care, self-love rituals there from the start as you as you grew Blue Bottle, or were those things that you sort of realized along the way that you, that you need in order to perform at the level you wanted to perform? They are probably things I didn't realize. I just thought I was an introvert, which I am, and I you know, needed my space first so that I could give to others second. But it took me a while. I think Enneagram was one of those things that helped me learn about that. Yeah. Yeah, and so... I guess in general, I guess the Enneagram, it seems like, like when did you discover the Enneagram? I, probably five years ago. And then funny enough, my wife, Tara, works with Enneagram now full time, teaching Enneagram in prisons. It's called the Enneagram Prison Project. And she will go and teach prisoners to learn or incarcerators um, to learn more about themselves, why yeah. they've done things in the past, how they can learn more about themselves so when they uh, leave that they are able to as returning citizens really return to a world where they feel they understand themselves better and they're better equipped you know to be a stronger returning citizen yeah i mean self-awareness is such a beautiful gift it really is right like i mean enneagram is one tool you can use to build self-awareness but I mean, even asking yourself better questions, reflection, even self-care in some ways, knowing what works for you and what doesn't create such a beautiful playground for you to learn more about yourself. Yes. With, with the Enneagram, there's a number of different personality traits within, within the nine types. 
it's a great way of understanding what you need to get your energy. Is it your space? Is it actually being with a crowd of people that, that there you'll, you, you know, you, you can read much more into it and just to know what triggers you and where you get your energy from is really interesting. Yeah. Do you get your energy in general from one source, one primary source? And if you don't get energy from that source, are there alternative sources that you go to to energize yourself? I don't think. I mean, I was thinking, but I obviously joked in my mind, like energy from coffee. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think so. I, but I, I think a team from this talk is definitely one of somebody who appears to be an extrovert and appears to, you know, has a way of being able to communicate with 1,300 employees in, from Korea, Japan, across, you know, from New York to L.A., I'm very outgoing and very personable, but behind it is somebody who's highly introverted, spends a lot of time and needs a lot of time to, to, to be by himself, to be able to, you know, to be equipped, um, able to do, to, to give that love and care that I do on a daily basis at Blue Bottle. What have you found? I mean, you have employees, team members from so many different countries and cultures. Have you found any commonalities across several different cultures in just the way people are? I think hospitality transcends orders. And so, you know, one of the one of the sort of the pinnacles of Blue Bell Success has been our very strong hospitality. And obviously when we went to Japan um in five years ago, two thousand fifteen, one of the reasons that Blue Ball is so successful in Japan is because they care so deeply about coffee and hospitality that everything that we cared about the bottle was easy to teach that in Japan because the Japanese culture um, of caring, giving um, is so strong, our decision is so strong. That also was the case in Korea where we opened last year. So what I was thinking about when we grew Blue Bottle outside the US, do I go to Europe? How quickly do I go to China? Where would be the first country to open? And just studying um, people's culture and the way they go about doing things, Japan obviously became a very obvious first point for us. So it's an interesting thing to know what's important to your business success. And then as you grow internationally, to know which countries personify that, you know, just from what you can tell of the culture or the experience that you've had in those countries. That's beautiful. I, I mean, I, Japan's one of my favorite countries, Kyoto in particular, it's arguably one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. I could get lost there, um, and it's it's beautiful. I think it's especially with with personalities. I think I keep coming back to care because you you've brought up so much value around the idea of care. I think even care is something that you can define. So, like, what do you define care to be? If you could just give a, like a, a single sentence definition of what is care. God, that's a tough one. So I, I think it's related to what I said earlier on, which is it doesn't need an education. It doesn't need a level of wealth. It doesn't need certain language uh, or certain culture for it to be given or received. It's something that the body knows how to do automatically. We just obviously you don't stop breathing or you die. But sometimes we stop caring. It's something that we choose to either do or not do. But it's as simple as breathing, I suppose. And yeah. the impact of, like, if you just try for 
warm day to care about something or someone that you don't normally care for. Like I used the example of how we're able to walk past someone in tenderloin. And um, maybe next time you walk past a homeless person, just, you know, drop, go and buy a sandwich for them or a cup of coffee. Or next time you're in line at Blue Bottle, just buy a cup of coffee, either for someone who can't afford the next person who comes and forgets their wallet or the next person that's in line, you know, that, that doesn't have enough money or just the next person in line. I'd like to buy the next person in line their cup of coffee. That act of kindness and care and consideration, I just think it's something in the world that we're being taught through leadership of our countries that caring, we're being taught now that caring is not important. And I think as entrepreneurs and people who, who you know, I think people who listen to your podcast obviously do care. Um, it's up to us whether we're raising families or we are in business or through philanthropy or social work care will win at the end of the day. Um, people like the ACLU care very deeply you know, about equality um, and about human rights. And if, you know, it's, it's people like that are upholding the fabric of our values, but we don't need to rely solely on people like the ACLU. We sh- it's something we should do ourselves every day. We should do it 10 times a day. Do you think uh, people are afraid to care? No, we just forget. We're just living, you know, we're busy. We're running from A to B. We're buying our subway tickets and getting to our meeting on time and grabbing that cup of coffee and a disposable cup. We're on autopilot. We're not stopping to think about what we're doing. Sustainability is something I talk a lot about at Blue Bottle. And it's amazing how many people buy a cup of coffee to have in our cafe, but they ask for it to go because they might be going early, but they take the cup of coffee with their compostable cup and they sit in our cafe and they drink it when it could be in a glass cup. Or people, you know, will go through plastic water bottles or, you know, complain about plastic water bottles about the planet, but, you know, will maybe not take the time to buy their own water bottle and fill it up at the airport. Uh, just taking a bit more time and thinking about what you're doing rather than thinking that someone else is going to fix the problem. The only way we can fix the problem about climate change is to be we take action ourselves in whatever way we can today. So for me, a big theme is reducing consumption of disposable cups. It's, you know, I'm not going to change climate change with that. But if I can get people to rethink about what they are doing every time they get a cup of coffee to go, uh, if they apply that then to their salad at Sweetgreen or, you know, their, when they order some food, to go, which comes in loads of plastic. You know, if we can change our behavior, we can wear a sweater when it gets cold rather than pumping up the heat. If we can be more careful about air conditioning, if we can reduce our consumption of things, get our pleasure more from kindness and caring rather than, you know, buying the latest gadget of this or that, uh, then I think we all together can make an impact on the environment. I love how you... You're almost creating a pattern interrupt by using simple things, simple reminders to just get people out of the matrix, almost in a way. Right? Like it's not like you're having to change so. the world, but you're just like, hey, might be right. mindful of and this one thing. I'm not trying thing. to say to people, you know, they're bad for what they're doing. I'm just saying right. that we've become too used to doing things out of habit. And I'm yeah. just trying to get people to rethink. So if you, if people listening today, could just rethink, like just think about in the past 24 hours. 
what you've consumed that has ended up in the trash, things that you have done that has pulled resources from petroleum or used that plastic. What could I do to reduce that in the next 24 hours? I think there's a lot of things. And rather than, it's either there's people who just don't think about it, there are people who dismiss it as not being important. I'm trying to get at both of those audience groups to say, you know, it's it, we can make we can be the change rather than relying on. Uh, certainly, our government's not going to do it, so we have to do it. One, I love that coffee is one of uh, one of the vehicles you're using to spread this message, just because it is such a it is such a routine part of somebody's day. And by infusing intention into something that's so routine, you almost create a gateway for individuals to create more intention in other parts of their lives. Yeah, and also, you know, I've been given a gift with Blue Bottle that. Blue Bottle is a well-known brand in America. It's huge in Korea and Japan and in China now. So I've been given a gift with Blue Bottle and I have a responsibility that goes with it. So I'm kind of using using that voice to say, to inspire people, to teach people, to guide people into being the change. So one of the things that we're doing in April is a pilot cafe where there's no to-go cups. Um, so if you come in and you get a cappuccino to go, you can either bring your own cup or you can rent a cup from Blue Bottle for about three bucks and we'll give you a cup. We'll charge you three dollars for it. You can then bring that cup back to that cafe or um, you can keep the cup. And um, that action is designed and it's reusable, so you can reuse it, you know, a hundred times. And that action is designed to get people to rethink about their habits as we were talking earlier on. Yeah, so that's something that, again, that cup won't change the world, but that cup will spark a thought in that person and in our guest. And if we have 12 million cups a year that we're giving out, that's 12 million opportunities to teach people to reflect and think about their consumption habits, and that can make a difference. You have a very grateful demeanor about you, Brian. Do you have a consistent practice of gratitude and appreciation or are there things that you do to sort of foster that muscle inside of you? I don't know. I wish I did. However, I wish I could tell you that's <laughs> something I do that I've learned to do. I'm just, you know, I'm a little bit humble. I think humility is really important. I think a lot of my success has come from hard work and luck. Mm. And so I, you know, why, why do I have the success? I have, I don't know. I've worked hard. I think I've been consistent with what I do, but also think I've been incredibly lucky. And so the danger is, is, is arrogance creeping in. And I'm just so aware, like I see it in people and I'm sure I've done it myself, but arrogance and ego is, is such a, is, is the evil in, 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 in what we do every day. And so I, I've just, the more successful I've become, the more grateful and humble and, and thankful I am. What comes with that is a need then to help others and to give back. So one of the things that we're doing at Blue Bottle is we had an opportunity to work with Nestle mm. in 2017. They're not the most obvious yeah. partner for a company like Blue Bottle. I kind of like the challenge of working with somebody who has a bad reputation around climate change and where a lot of people are pointing fingers around plastic water bottles and lots of things have happened to Nestle over the past 10 or 20 years. And so I went over to 
Switzerland and met with Mark Schneider, who's the new CEO of Nestle. And I realized very quickly that this guy is changing Nestle and they do, I don't know, something like 100 billion Swiss francs of revenue every year. They're a massive, massive company, right? They yeah. touch the food chains and globally around the world. And I thought, okay, Brian, this is your opportunity, not just to do stuff with Blue Bottle, you can actually impact Nestle. And so what's happened since I met Mark is he's invested in Blue Bottle and I've now joined the Nestle Sustainability Board and I'm joining a board of a fund that I've just started to invest in companies that are finding alternatives to plastic. And so I could have just said, oh, I'm not going to talk to Nestle because they've got a bad reputation. But my view was like one of compassion and excitement of like, okay, I think the CEO of Nestle is someone who's driving change. And I want to help that person because if I can help that person, then I can move some of the issues we have around sustainability to a much higher level. And I can impact the world much more quickly than just doing it at Blue Bottle Coffee. I love the optimism there, which actually begs me to ask you a question around, I guess, like, what are some of the values you think that you've exhibited that have helped you become the CEO or the, or the man you are, or the leader you are today? The ones that you think that have just driven the needle forward in a way that have kept you humble, that have given you the tools to create and enact change um, in this ever-changing environment. I think reflecting on, on my business career, I definitely have to enjoy what I'm doing and take a lot of pride in what I'm doing. Have a bit of fun because, again, you know, if you think of how much of your time and your life you put into your career, it's got to be something that you love doing and you're excited about it and it shouldn't feel like work. Then above that, it's, for me, humility, a sense of caring, a sense of listening, a sense of oneness, of just like realizing, yes, you might be the CEO. But, you know, everyone in the company is the same level as you. You need to care for every single person in the organization and never get hierarchical or, yeah, egotistical about the things that you're doing. I'm very grateful to be the CEO of Blue Bowl Coffee. Um, if I find somebody out there who's better than me, I will be the first person to hand the reins over to someone who can you know, do the job better than me because I'm not the type of person who thinks, I'm indispensable or I'm better than anyone else. I'm actually constantly going around thinking there's got to be someone better at this than me. Hmm. Which creates an opportunity for you to stay a student, if you would. That's true. Yes. As you're asking me about the different practices I have, I start making notes to myself. Hmm, I must, I must get myself some, some practices that I can. I do love learning and I love going on workshops. And the thing, you know, we talked about Enneagram earlier on, things like that. I, tools that can help me understand myself, I love. What have been the, the most uh, powerful ways you or powerful tools of learning for you over the last several years? Yeah, like what? Hmm, I don't know. Like what have you, what tools, like are you a, an avid reader? Are you an individual who sort of, I know reflections, is reflection really one of the, most powerful ways that you've learned or yeah i'm not i'm i'm a thinker not a reader i wish i, I mean i'm embarrassed to say i'm not a reader because i think reading is an amazing source of inspiration and information and i've ton of respect for people who read my, my read a lot my wife reads a book a week i've just never been i don't have i'm a bit add in terms of being able to sit and concentrate in a book i do listen to audible and podcasts 
Now you're going to ask me my favorite podcast and I'm going to <laughs> blank. So don't ask me that question. No, I, I learn through thinking. And so I'm the type of person I can hop on a plane to Tokyo from San Francisco and I can spend, you know, 10 hours on a plane without watching a movie. I read, you know, read the newspapers and I open up my iPad and do some emails and then I just think, I just go into, I daydream, I suppose. And I daydream about stuff and I can daydream forever. Which is why I love hiking because I just daydream. I love hiking by myself. So daydreaming is wonderful. It can just provide a lot of clarity. And just learning how to breathe and learning how to think about possibilities in this world is amazing. What do you daydream about? <laughs> what do I daydream about? Oh gosh, you're asking me tough questions now. Man, these are fun um, questions. Come on, you don't want the boring, what do easy I layups, right? About? I kind of daydream a lot because I just turned 50. So I am daydreaming a lot about, you know, reflecting a little bit on the past 50 years and then what's coming next. So I do daydream about the next 50 years and I think about, you know, my success at, like at business. I am definitely not the type of person that now has done this amazing job at Blue Bottle Coffee and now I'm going to go off and be the CEO, you know, you know I'm going to go from Blue Bottle to another big company and be a CEO or something. That's, mm-hmm. that's not me. What I think about is like, what do I love doing? I love stuff around climate change. Uh, as you know, I like teaching. Um, I like going on, on workshops and learning about myself and traveling the world. And I tend to follow my heart in those things. And by following my heart, it opens up opportunities. Like I was just saying earlier on, you know, getting on the sustainability committee at Nestle, to some people might sound like a nightmare, but to me, this sounds like an amazing opportunity. So I daydream about like, ooh, you know, could I, could I actually be helpful in helping Nestle think about changing things that they're doing around the consumption of plastic? Because I know they're interested in making those changes. I daydream a bit about like, how could I do that? How do you learn to trust the voice in your heart? Oh, that's easy. I'm very intuitive and I take a lot of big risks. I'm not afraid. I have no fear of that. And, and the one thing I do is to follow my heart, you know, follow what I'm passionate about, follow my intuition. And usually, like sometimes I can be in a situation where my intuition is like shouting and screaming at me to pull away from something or to go into something. And I follow it and it always ends up being right. Mm-hmm. Whether it's around people or around you know, partnerships or whether I'm taking a new location and something, you know, doesn't feel right about it. Anytime I haven't listened to my intuition, that's always, I've always made a mistake. What do you think that, I guess, I'm curious, I'm curious about this answer. Where do you think, what do you think intuition is? I think it is, sometimes I get criticized because I'm too intuitive. But then I heard somebody talk about this, maybe it was on the podcast. The intuition is, so I'm 51 now. Intuition is something, is an inner voice that you have that comes from 51 years of experience. <laughs> and so it's, it may just feel like you know, a gut feel, but that gut feel comes from um, living for 51 years. Everything that's gone right, everything that's gone wrong, it's there. And it's, you know, the body has a automated, an automatic response to danger and opportunity. And 
if you listen to it, it can tell you sometimes where 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 it's dangerous or where maybe that danger is okay. Anxiety is something where sometimes the body can feel there's too much danger when it's not necessary, and you have to learn to tell the body it's okay. But there are times through your experience where the body can say to you, "This is a great opportunity. There's something about this that feels right." And it, when you try to articulate it, it comes from the 51 years of experience that I've had that is helping me make that decision. It's not like a random, you know, intuitive split decision that you've made just there. And so for people who criticize intuition, I would get them to rethink that to say intuition is a very powerful force in decision-making and is, um, you know, to ignore intuition, uh, ignore it, you know, at your peril. Yeah. I mean, I would argue like it from that definition, I mean, your body is, subconsciously collecting millions of data points to keep you alive, right? There's things that are happening beyond our control. There's senses that are working in our favor, whether we believe that or not. The intuition's the supercomputer inside us that gives us an answer. And I think that's what actually makes a lot of the work with the Enneagram and self-awareness and even trusting some of those emotions that come up so effective. Because when you learn to trust those emotions, you learn to trust that voice inside you that tells you something mm -hmm. is right or not. Mm. Well put. Beautiful. Brian, you are a pretty amazing human being, I've got to say. So are you. Thank I've you got, so much. I've got to say, I really enjoyed this conversation with you. I do have one last question for you. In the midst of everything uh, you've been through, everything you're doing and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? I think the theme of what I've talked today is 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 one of them is humility. If you can if you can honor and celebrate your success, but at the same time remember that you didn't do it by yourself. A lot of you know whether it was your parents or your colleagues or your family, you had a lot of help from a lot of people, and so stay grounded by celebrating your successes but remaining humble through your transition and progress in life and giving back. And as I've said in this podcast, caring deeply about you know, people in your family, your colleagues, the earth, and take a moment to care for somebody or something for a moment today that you would not normally do. Mm, beautiful, beautifully stated. Brian, I am extremely grateful that you took the time today to spend an hour with us. Uh, sharing your philosophies. And I know for a fact that you probably inspired a few people to care a little more about something in their lives, whether that's the environment, things they believe in, the work they do, or the people that they impact. So I just want to thank you again for being Great. here. All right, Raj. Thank you so much. Thank Absolutely. You Cheers, everybody. That is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Brian. And from us, Stay Grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast 
read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.